Um, I'm going to start by telling you a little bit about stories. So we all love a story, whether it's a story we've read in a book, watched in a movie, or a tale passed down through generations. But what makes a good story? The best stories often include a hero and a villain, maybe some action that gets our hearts racing. They have comedic value. But all good stories have got that one defining moment when good triumphs over evil, when the two people we've been rooting for finally fall in love or the underdog pulls through. We love stories because we identify with the character whose story is told. We see similarities between their experiences and ours. We enter into their lives and we can learn from them. As a child, I had a favorite storybook called Duck in Trouble. And in preparation for this talk, I actually got my mum to post me my copy of Duck in Trouble so that I could reread it. And it's the story of this little fluffy duck who dreamed of owning a big balloon. But he always got caught in unfortunate situations which destroyed his hope. He was the joke of the party at the expense of the other characters into the book. He falls into a pile of mud, he gets pushed into a bucket of paint, and the story ends with a duck going to bed with an unfulfilled dream of owning his balloon. Little Becky was always rooting for this duck. I wanted him to accomplish his dream. I wanted him to get this balloon. But no matter how many times I read the book or it was read to me, The duck never got his balloon, and I was left with this unfulfilled dream, and I was really disappointed every single time. This summer's theme is Ordinary Heroes, and tonight we're going to be exploring the book of Esther. And like many books of the Old Testament, Esther is not a prophetic declaration, and it does not outline a set of laws. Rather, the book of Esther is the story of an ordinary, flawed person who steps out in faith and uses her position to bring about change. Biblical stories are powerful because they tell us about God and his relationship with people. They draw us into relationship with God as we learn about his heart and his character. As we unpack this story, we need to ask ourselves a question. What does this story demand of me? And what does this story demand of God's church? So the book of Esther is about a Jewish community living in exile in Caesar, the capital city of the Persian Empire. The two main characters are two Jews, Mordecai and his his niece Esther, alongside King Xerxes, the drunken king of Persia, and his official Haman, the deceptive villain. This book is an interesting one amongst all others in the Bible because God is not mentioned, not even once he appears to be absent. However, It's one of the most realistic accounts of God's providence. It shows us how an unseen God works through ordinary events and human history, ordinary people to carry out his purposes. It reminds us of God's sovereignty over all things. We often find in the Bible and in our own lives that God is working hard behind the scenes. So before we read from Esther chapter 4, I'm going to give you some background to this story, a bit of a whistle-stop tour going on here. So the book of Esther begins with King Xerxes throwing two big feasts to display his greatness. On the last day of his feast, in a drunken state, he summons his wife, Queen Vashti, to the party to show off her beauty. The queen refuses to come, and in a rage, he banishes her from the palace and holds a beauty pageant to find a new queen. This story really would make the perfect beginning to a Netflix series. This is when we're introduced to Esther and her uncle Mordecai. 
Esther enters the king's beauty pageant. The king loves her youthful beauty, and she becomes the new queen. But in the process, she compromises her faith and her identity. She hides the fact that she's a Jew, and she sleeps with a king, a Gentile who's not yet her husband. While Esther is being crowned queen, Mordecai uncovers that two royal guards are plotting to kill the king. He informs Esther, who informs the king, and Mordecai gets credited for saving the king's life. As we move into chapter 3, Haman, the villain of the story, is elevated to the highest position in the palace, and the king bows that everybody kneel before Haman. When Mordecai sees Haman, he refuses to bow before him, which fills Haman with rage. Haman finds out that Mordecai is Jewish and successfully persuades the king to enact a decree to destroy all of the Jewish people. So in the modern day, this would be a bit like the queen making a new law to destroy a specific group of people. Mordecai is devastated and he mourns for his people. And this is where Esther steps in and she sends a servant Hathak to meet Mordecai. So we're now going to read from the book of Esther chapter 4, verses 16 to 17. You can get your Bibles out on your phone. You can grab one um, from the side. I forgot to look up which page it is for you, but I'm sure you can find it if you look quickly enough. Brilliant. So Esther chapter 4, verses 16 to 17. Mordecai persuades Esther to help. So Hathor went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him. He also gave him a copy of the text of the Edicet for the Jews' annihilation, which had been published in Caesar, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence and to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All of the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned to the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their life. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Caesar and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. The book continues for another four chapters. And what happens next is Esther responds for bravery with bravery. She risks her life and she presents herself to the king. A series of events, of events unfold, and rather than being killed, Mordecai is public, publicly honored for his earlier act of saving the king's life. Haman is executed, and through Esther's courage, the Jews are saved. Esther might have been the Queen of Persia, but she wasn't a particularly special person. In fact, like most characters in the Bible, she was pretty ordinary. She was in the minority as a Jew. She was compliant. She hid her faith out of fear. She broke religious laws, slept with a Gentile who wasn't her husband, and she was involved with a lot of drinking and even murder. 
Esther was by no means a moral example. But despite her flawed human nature, she was called by God to speak up on behalf of her people. There's a lot for us to learn from the book of Esther. So tonight we are going to focus on three key things. Firstly, the call to root our identity. Secondly, the call to justice. And finally, the call to community. So let's start with the call to identity. At first, Esther did not want to approach the king. In verses 10 and 11, Esther sends a message to Mordecai, refusing to go to the king. It was a capital offense to enter the inner court without invitation from the king, and she would be risking her life if she did so. She was understandably terrified. But despite the risk, Mordecai was not accepting any excuses, like the good uncle he was, and he sent a powerful message back to Esther. So reading from verses 13 and 14 in the message translation, he said, Don't think that just because you live in the king's house, you're the one Jew who will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive from the Jews from someplace else. But you and your family will be wiped out. Who knows? Maybe you were made queen for such a time as this. Esther had hidden her identity as a Jew while living in the palace, and she had compromised her values. But the time had come when Esther had to make a choice on her identity. She had no prophetic vision. She had no biblical claim for her safety. She simply had to decide whether or not she was willing to identify with God's people. Even though God is not mentioned, we can see his hands over these events. It suggested that whether or not Esther chose to act, the Jewish people would be saved by some of the means. It's also implied that God had elevated Esther to the position of the Queen of Persia for just this moment. This was a defining moment. All of the events in her life that had led to her becoming queen were for this exact time so that she could intercede for her people. Would she use her position to save her people and to work for justice in society? Just like Esther, we are not where we are by chance. God's unseen hand is working in our lives and in the life of this church. God has ordained that at some moment, you will fulfill this part of his plan. That is why you are here. Like Esther, we too are a religious minority living in a dominant culture with completely different views to us on most things. Defining moments are going to come in our lives. Sometimes God will clearly direct us in how to act, but sometimes he won't. There will be no vision, there will be no prophetic word telling us the right way. Instead, we will have to trust that God's sovereign hand is over all and decide whether or not we're willing to go against cultural norms, identify with him, and step out in faith. In fact, sometimes it is only with the beauty of hindsight that we can look back and see God's fingerprints all over our lives where we once questioned his presence. Esther did choose to step out in faith, and we watch her transition from a fearful girl to a mature queen. She realizes that she's not in the palace at this time for herself, but for others. And she sends a message to Mordecai stating, If I perish, I perish. Esther risks her life in the palace, a life of riches, to seek justice, to advocate on behalf of her people. The example of Esther points us towards Jesus. Esther said, If I perish, but as Jesus approached the end of his life, he said, When I perish. Jesus was the ultimate advocate who gave up everything, who paid the price so that we might be restored into a relationship with God, our Father. Where Esther saved a people, 
Jesus Saves All People. I think that my favorite childhood book, Duck in Trouble, deeply resonated with me because it connected with my heart. From a young age, I have held closely a belief that we are called to speak out and to fight injustice and oppression. The duck was mocked by the other animals and I desperately wanted him to be empowered to achieve his dream. I wanted justice for him. The story of Esther is an example of someone who cast aside her fear. She used her position in a sphere of influence to seek justice despite the possible cost. But it was more than just that. The story of Esther gives us insight into God's character and shows us that God deeply cares for his people. From beginning to end, the Bible is a story of how God seeks justice for his people so that they might be restored to him. There is a biblical mandate for us as Christians to speak up on behalf of those who are oppressed. God's heart is for his people, and as we become more like Christ, our hearts too should be for people. Like Esther wasn't in the palace for herself so that she could live a life of luxury, we are not here on earth for ourselves. We're here because we have a part to play in God's restoration story. Jesus advocated on our behalf to the Father so that we might be saved and we too are called to be advocates, knowing that we can risk the riches of this earth because we have all that we need in Christ. We have a sphere of influence. We have families, workplaces, schools and communities. We have to navigate our Christian identity in these spheres and sometimes it's going to cost us. But despite the cost, we are to be used our position to reflect God's heart for people. That might mean calling out injustice. That might be, mean standing with a colleague who's having a hard time or intentionally loving someone we find challenging. So, so far, we've unpacked the call to firstly root our identity in Christ and to seek justice. And finally, we'll consider the call to community. So what struck me when preparing for this evening was that when Esther stepped out, she did it in partnership with her community. In verse 16, Esther sends instructions to Mordecai. Go, gather all the Jews who are in Caesar and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. Esther asked her community to fast for her. When we think of fasting, we commonly think of giving something up, usually food. Fasting is about sacrificing something that is important to us, but we don't fast for fasting's sake. We fast to make time to commit ourselves to God, to hear his voice, to present to him situations in our lives, in the lives of other people, and in the life of the church, to seek his wisdom and his guidance. When Esther asked her people to fast for her, she was asking them to intercede on her behalf, to commit her to God as she presented herself to the king. As Esther stepped out and advocated for the Jews, her people were advocating on her behalf to the Father. This is an incredible picture of the coming together of God's people. They stood with her in her battle. We are called to step out, but we are not called to do it alone. We are called to do it in partnership with our community, our church here at St. John's. When we experience trials, they should not have only a personal, but a collective impact. When one part of the body hurts, the other should hurt too. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, it says, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. 
Imagine how lonely Esther must have been in the palace. She lived apart from her community, hiding her identity, and she hadn't seen her husband for over a month. She must have felt such hope knowing that her community stood with her in her battle. I work with young people as part of my job, which I love very much, and research into current trends often crosses my desk. The Office of National Statistics reported last year that 10% of 16 to 24-year-olds say that they are often lonely. That is 10% of 16 to 24-year-olds who say that they are often lonely. That is more than any other age group in society right now. Now, this is pinned on a variety of factors. The deterioration of family relationships and close friendships, hidden illnesses and disabilities. In a digital world, we are more connected, but we are more distant than ever before. If the church chooses to truly stand with those in our community experiencing battles, to intercede on their behalf, then we can shine a light into this epidemic of loneliness, and we can lead people into relationship with Jesus. As expressed so well by Kurt Vonnegut, what should young people do with their lives today? Many things, obviously. But the most daring thing is to create stable communities in which the terrible disease of loneliness can be cured. So we're going to end by asking ourselves the questions that we started with. From the story of Esther, what is God demanding of me? And what is God demanding of us, his church? God demands that we individually and collectively do three things. Firstly, we we root our identity in Christ, risking the riches of this earth as we step out, trusting that in him we have all that we need. Number two, we seek justice in our spheres of influence. And number three, we be community, standing with our brothers and sisters in Christ in their battles, leading people into relationship with Jesus. Esther was an ordinary human who made flawed decisions, but God used her anyway, and he will use you too, no matter what your past. There will come a time when we are confronted with injustice or a challenge, and we will have to make a choice to step out or to shy away, a bit like what Claire was saying earlier on. We're going to have to choose. Do you want to be a meerkat or do you want to be a lion? God is sovereign over all things. Your community stands with you in your battle. You can boldly go. And if you can't go boldly, go anyway, because you will look back in time and you will see that God's hand was over your life, that he was working hard behind the scenes. Wow, gosh. Thanks, Becky. I'm going to...